Good morning again, everybody. Um, I, I'm almost hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, in case any of you are uh, Ravens fans in the room. Um, I know I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. Um, I'm recording it, so please don't tell me anything afterwards. I'm going to watch it by myself after this. So I know a lot of you are going to come and be like, hey, did you see what happened? And I don't want, okay, no jokes, no nothing. Okay, just let me enjoy it. I don't feel like this is a bad idea because now someone for sure is going to tell me. Anyways, okay, so um, anyways, so uh, we are in our series, Fear, where we have been talking a lot about um, who we are, about the lies that we believe, and one thing that we've been talking about throughout this entire series is that fear is a response to death. It's the response to the death of a potential marriage, the death of your, of your um, purpose, the death of your faith, the death of your bank account, that whenever there's something that could potentially die, that we tend to live in fear. And that fear comes from the lies that we believe about ourselves, that lies that we believe about ourselves that are about God that, that a lot of us have deep down in us, fear is produced in our life when we live a life built around an identity of a lie. So since we all have some kind of fear, that means that there is, has to be some kind of lie that we all have believed. So if you have not ca caught any of the previous um, uh, sermons, I highly recommend you go back to our website and do that um, so that way you can kind of catch up to see kind of what we're talking about. Last week, we talked about anxiety. And this week, we are talking about anger. Now, I want to give you just a little background on when I was preparing um, for a lot of this stuff that we've been talking about, um, about uh, fear and lies. I've been preparing this for a couple of months. I've actually been meeting with um, uh, Jeff, who's here somewhere, um, who is, has done a lot of work on this stuff. So I've been learning a lot about um, lies that we believe about ourselves and the fear that gets produced from that. And I knew I was going to talk about anger this week. And coming in this week, I was preparing a sermon for all of you. Because in my head, I'm like, I'm pretty good when it comes to anger. Like, I don't get angry that easily. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm not that much of an angry guy. I'm normally pretty good. So I was thinking of all of you when I was preparing my sermon today. I was not thinking of me. And then uh, Tuesday, um, I'm an Oriole fan. And if you know what happened on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, the Orioles lost their third postseason game in a row, meaning they did not win one. They haven't won one in 14 years. Um, and... Uh, we had 101 wins. You would think we'd win at least one, let alone not get destroyed in two of them. Anyways, so I'm watching the game Tuesday, and um, I found myself uh, being a little grumpy. Don't ask my wife how I was. She would say I was more than grumpy. And I'm watching the game, and I'm texting with friends and Frank, and he's not making me feel any better. We're just complaining, and we're really angry about things. And I'm literally like, we're watching the game, and I'm like hitting the couch when something's wrong happens. I'm throwing my phone. This is the way I'm acting, like a child, you know, has our children act. And my daughter kept coming out while I was um, watching the game with Erica. She decided to watch with me. And she was so excited. My, my middle child was so excited because she has been learning to read. And she came out to tell us, hey, I'm reading this, and this is what I read. And she's like, okay, that's great. She'd go back in, come back out. She does this four times. By the fourth time, it's like, okay, we know what you're trying to do. You're trying to not. Uh, but she's so excited. So instead of just saying, hey, you have to stay in your room now, instead, I yell at her, go in your room. It's time to go to bed. Because again, I'm grumpy watching the oral game. She goes to her room. Erica says, hey, she's crying in her room right now because you yelled at her. I was like, okay, I shouldn't have done that. I went in and said, hey, I'm really sorry, Daddy should not have yelled at you. You need to go to bed, but I shouldn't have reacted that way. I go back and watch the game, and I'm huffing and puffing, and I'm so upset. And then um, eventually I go in to check on my oldest daughter, Brooklyn. And, check, and when I walk in, she looks, like, nervous. She kind of looks scared a little bit. And I'm like, what, what's wrong? She's like, well, I was calling your name for a while, and you never came, but then I heard you throwing your phone, so I thought you were mad at me. And I was like, Brooklyn, no, it's because the Orioles are ruining my life right now. I'm so sorry. 
And then I didn't think anything of it. I said, hey, I'm sorry. I'm just a little grumpy. It's and then I went, I didn't think anything of it. Seriously, like, I was like, it's fine. I'm, you get grumpy when you watch sports. And then on Thursday, I was listening to a podcast, leadership podcast I listened to um, with two other pastors. And uh, it was a pastor and his wife that were talking about rest and about working in ministry together, all this stuff. And then they started talking about anger. And I'm like, oh, this could be good for my sermon. I'm about to write this sermon today. Um, and they're going to talk about anger. And the wife said, yeah, I realized my husband had an anger problem when I watched him watch sports. I went, oh, no. I literally just did that on Tuesday. And, like, and also, when he plays golf, he gets too angry. And I'm like, oh, no. That is also me. So this sermon that I had written for you, I eventually wrote it for myself. Okay? So here's what I've learned when it comes to anger. All of us have some kind of anger issue. Some of us have it way more than others. But all of us at times do not handle things correctly, and we respond with anger. And you may be thinking, well, what does any of this have to do with fear? Worry and anxiety, I get how that has to do with fear, but, but, but how does anger? And here's why. If fear is brought to us because of the lie that we believe about ourselves and about God, and anxiety, like we said last week, is worrying about that lie, then here's what anger is. Here's the definition we're using for anger today. Anger is fighting because of the lie. That belief we have deep inside of us, that belief that I'm not good enough or, or I, I'm not a good enough spouse or, or parent or um, just whatever that lie is that we've been talking about this entire series, if we do not work on that, eventually we're going to fight other people with our anger because of it. So it's sometimes instead of worrying about that lie, that false belief that we built our identity on, instead we fight it. We fight to make sure that no one, none, no one thinks of us the way that we think about ourselves, that no one treats us the way that we fear. And if we do not do something about that lie that is producing fear, that, that false belief, then anger will build and build and build. And I've learned, and you know this too, nothing can destroy everything around you quicker than anger. You can destroy everything. And we have been saying, if you aren't sure what that lie is, all, all this entire series we've been saying, which one do you do? Do you self-protect or do you self-promote? Whichever one of those you do, that can kind of tell you where that lie is. Another way we could say that is, do you either fight or flight? You've probably heard that saying before, fight or flight. Fight or flight is a psychological reaction to um, an event or circumstance that we perceive as stressful, as frightening, or as dangerous. It's how you respond to fear. It's how you respond. And we tend to think that only flight people are actually afraid because they're the ones that seem afraid because they're, they're hiding or they're self-promoting and, and they're running away from the problem. And that fight people aren't actually afraid because they're brave, they're going, and they're fighting against whatever that fear is. But that actually isn't true. Our anger response comes from something. It's the same place that your worry response comes from. It comes from a fear of the lie, a fear of false belief that we have. Anger, it provides fuel and energy so that we don't actually have to face our fears. Let me give you some examples of how this can look. If a kid is afraid of being embarrassed, so what they can do is they can become the bully. He's actually insecure and afraid, so he uses anger to get attention. That's a way. Or some of us, maybe um, we feel like we're just not good enough. We're afraid about not being good enough, so we become angry about any responsibility that we have. That boss is giving you unfair expectations. What, why do I have to do that task? This is a dumb task. I'm above this task. I don't need to do that task anymore. That's unfair. So we get angry about our situation. We use our anger to put the problem back on that person who is making us feel inadequate. Or maybe it's a fear of guilt or shame. So when you get into a fight with somebody, your anger shifts because you don't want to feel guilty or shame. So you say, yeah, I know you did that. 
I, I know I did this, but, but here's what you did. We're shifting the focus back on you because that's how we use our anchor. It's back on you so I don't feel guilt or shame. There's actually a lot of research that's been done to show the links between fear and anger. In 1953, Dr. Albert F. Axe did a research um, to kind of see how anger and fear correlate. And this is a very old study, but they found, they built on top of this study. And the reason why this is an old study, this is back in the day when, like, you could kind of abuse people to, for scientific purposes. Remember that? Like, you could do, like, experiments you should not be allowed to do. Back then, that's what you could do. So back then, and um, what he did, he got participants together, and they put all these different sensors on, on every participant. They measured blood pressure, heart rate, uh, respiratory rate, uh, temperature, muscle tension. And the participants were told that this was a conditioning experiment. That's why they have all this stuff on. And then what they would do is while they are there with all this stuff on, they would do a, it says, a non-painful but noticeable shock on their fingers. So at least shock them. And then they'd be like, oh, we're sorry. We don't know why it's happening. And that would build fear because they were nervous. That would keep happening because something's happening. And then while they have all this stuff on, they would go in and, and whoever's running the experiment, the operator, would come in and they would start criticizing the nurse and start berating the, the participant for being late, making them angry. And they wanted to measure how they would respond to both different things. And here's what they found. They compared the results. The researchers reported that the psychological response to anger and the fear increased blood pressure, muscle tension, breathing rate, and heart rate in the same way, but there was a couple distinct uh, markers. With anger, participants showed greater increase of heart rate, blood pressure, and muscle tension, whereas respiratory rate was greatly increased with fear. And here's what they really found. They found things with epinephrine and, and, and uh, not, uh, ne neuroepinephrine. They found that when you compare the two, they found that people who responded with anger had the same signs as fear as well, but what they did is covered it with their anger. They scientifically found that. Fear, anger, and false belief that all of us have are all linked together. And if we don't get our anger under control, it will lead to destruction. One of the best examples in scripture is um, King Saul. If you ever read the Old Testament, King Saul. If you do not know um, much about King Saul, Saul was the very first king of Israel, God's chosen people. These were God's chosen people that you read about in the Old Testament. And the very first king they had was Saul. And Saul was a, started as a faithful king. He won battles. He honored God with how he reigned. But eventually Saul and his pride led him, and his lack of faith led him to rebellion against God. There's two things that really happened. Saul took it upon himself at one point to offer the burnt offering. Back then, it was only the prophets would do that. But he said, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm just going to do it myself. That was a big no-no, especially as the, as the king. You wouldn't do that. And then uh, later on, they're supposed to go to a town and, and destroy everything and everyone there. Uh, but instead, he brings back some of the good cattle, and he brings back the king, which is a, a complete disobedience to what God told him to do. So when Saul didn't listen to God, the prophet Samuel, the prophets would talk Two people for God. That's what they would do. The prophet Samuel went to Saul and said, hey, what are you doing? You, you heard what God said. Why aren't you listening? Look at Saul's reply in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, what Saul says. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid. I was afraid of men, so I gave it to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and, and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Why did Saul sin? Why did he fall short? Fear. He was afraid. He was afraid of what other people would say, and it led him to do something against God's will. And, but sadly for Saul, that it was too late at this point. This is what Samuel says in response, verse 26. But Samuel said to him, 
I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of, of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Saul was the first king of God's chosen people. He deliberately went against what God told him to do, and because of it, God took his role away. Now, for a lot of us, we might see, I mean, man, it seems kind of harsh. He made a mistake, and it was pulled away like that. But here, here's what I've learned, and, and you probably know this too, especially in, in my world and in the Christian world and with other pastors. Um, there's been a lot of talks about when a pastor falls short and messes up in a very big way, are they, should they be a pastor again? Should they still do that? And here's, here's what I truly believe about my role here. I believe that this is a privilege that I have to be your pastor. It's a, very, it's a privilege that I do not take lightly. You should never expect me as your pastor to be perfect, Far from that, again, Tuesday I yelled at my, made my kids cry because of the Orioles, asked my wife. You should never expect to be perfect. And I've seen pastors crushed with the weight of their church, expecting them to never fall short. I've seen that happen. At the same time, biblically, pastors are held to a different standard. We can always find forgiveness in no matter what we do. But this position I have is a luxury, is a privilege that I have, but I'm not entitled to it. Here's what I mean. I have no pastors, and I have friends that, that were pastors that had an affair. And when they had that, there's forgiveness in that. There's redemption in that. There's no more pastor role in that because you've fallen short too much. We see that with marriages, too. We, I've seen a lot of marriages. I've helped marriages, and I've helped counseling where some things have happened that have overstepped, as in, like, there's been actual abuse or infidelity, and there's forgiveness in all those things. But biblically, you don't, it doesn't mean you need to stay married. Biblically, you can be divorced for that. So in the same way, here Saul, has, he has forgiveness. There's grace in what he's done. If he, he can eventually move to forgiveness and be redeemed, but king's over. That was a privilege. You mess up too much, it's gone. Your life's not over, but this role that God gave you is now officially over for you. That's where Saul is. So Saul eventually finds out that David, you may know David and Goliath, King David is going to eventually take over. And here's the first time he finds out. I always find this like it's a little jab to Saul here. They're returning from battle, Saul and David, um, and Saul realized that God has put David because all these people are singing a song about him. Here's the song that they sing, 1 Samuel 18. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. If you're an envious guy like Saul, can you imagine hearing that? The person that's going to take over for you because you messed up, they're singing songs of like, yeah, you did pretty good, but man, that David guy is awesome. They are singing all stuff. So, so Dave, uh, Saul starts to change his tune is what it says in verse 8. Saul was very angry, which refrained displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. From then on, Saul allowed his anger to take him down a path of destruction, and everyone around him got hurt because of it. Because of that anger, because of what anger can do, it destroys everyone near you. So here's who anger hurts. You want to write this down. You can write this down on your impact card. Here's who anger hurts, three, three different types of people. It hurts the people closest to you. People right closest to you, your, your close family, your anger hurts them. Saul hated David, but Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan's best friend was David. They were BFFs. They, they were as... I'm sure they had um, a heart necklace that was broken in half. That's how close David and Jonathan were. Saul hated David, and look what happens to his relationship with Jonathan because of it. First Samuel chapter 20. Why should he, this is uh, Jonathan talking, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. He's, he's asking, what, 
he didn't do anything wrong. David's been, why, why is, should he be put to death? Look how Saul responds. But Saul hurled his spear at him, Jonathan, to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. His anger was so bad. I, I've told this story before, and I, I know I'm telling you a lot of stories of how angry I can be, so don't judge me too much. Again, we're not perfect. But um, I was, one time I was, uh, we're feeding our kids dinner. Brooklyn was about four or five. She was on the younger side. She had green peppers that she had needed to eat. And uh, I know she can eat green peppers. I've seen her do it many, many, many times. There's no reason for her not to eat a green pepper. So she's sitting there at the table, and she is taking forever. And Erica takes the rest of the kids to go um, take baths, and I'm just doing the dish. I'm like, Brooklyn, you need to eat green peppers. And she just won't stop. Dad, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't like green peppers. You know I don't like green peppers. Just kept arguing with me, and I'm just, Brooklyn, you need to eat your green peppers. And I can feel it. You know when you start to get angry, you just feel it boiling inside of you? Kids can do that. They know how to, like, raise that temperature up. I feel it boiling. What a good, mature father would do is leave the room and take a little break to, to calm down. Not this guy. I keep boiling and boiling and boiling, and she keeps saying, Dad, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat. It's 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. I get so mad, I go to her, and I say, you're fine, you're not going to eat it. And I took the green pepper, I threw it as hard as I could against the wall. That's how mad I got. And I looked at her, and her face went from, oh, no, I'm in trouble, to, oh, no, I'm afraid of my father. And immediately I was like, oh, no, this is a mistake. One day she's going to be thinking about, yeah, my dad's good, but sometimes if you don't, she's probably not going to never eat a green pepper again because of how afraid she is of me. But right away I knew, oh, no, that was a major mistake that I made because I let my anger get out of control and it hurt my child. That's what I did. Studies have shown that if you do not do something about your anger, you will hurt everyone around you. Here's a study that's shown, especially with children. Studies have shown that children who grow up around rage-filled behavior, here's what that means, outbursts of anger, um, unhealthy fighting between uh, the, the married couple, yelling, property damage. When kids grow up in that environment, they tend to become less empathetic and more aggressive. Kids that grow up in an anger-filled environment also have lower self-esteem, and they suffer more from social isolation and experience long-term depression and anxiety. So unless they have another role model in their life, that is showing them a better way to live, if their parents model anger behavior, their kids are going to suffer, and most likely, if they don't have another role model, studies have shown, they're going to reenact the exact same thing they were taught. It can hurt everyone that's close to you, people around you. Your anger will hurt the people close to you, but not just them. Anger hurts the people near you. Ahimelech was a priest, and uh, he would help King Saul and his family. He was doing his role, and at one point, Word gets out that, that Saul, to, to Saul, that Ahimelech, he worked with David. He interceded with David. So David came and, and Ahimelech would pray to God in, on behalf of David. That was his job. Saul gets very angry with this and he confronts uh, the prophet Ahimelech with this. And look how uh, Ahimelech responds. He says this, First Samuel chapter 22. Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. Here's what he's basically saying. So I've done this before with David. Like, this is my job. I've done this before. And the problem that you have with David has nothing to do with me. Don't, get, don't put me in the middle of this argument. Like, that's nothing to do with me. I'm just doing my job. Look how Saul responds because of his anger. But the king said, you will surely die. Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And that's what happened. He kills Ahimelech, 
and his entire family because Saul's anger towards David. He did nothing wrong. He was simply doing his job, but Saul's anger got Ahimelech and his entire family killed. And sadly, I see this happen all the time. I see anger that one person has towards another person, and they're so angry about that relationship that they take it out on this person that has nothing to do with it. I see it happen all the time. I see fierce political debates online that ruin family relationships and friendships, which, by the way, you've never, ever changed anyone's political opinion online. No one's ever done it. You've never done it. I've never done it. Yet I've seen people destroy their relationships in anger because of what they're willing to fight about online. I see friends who have lovingly called out another friend of theirs the way we're called to biblically, and that friend responds with anger towards them and destroys the relationship because of it. I've seen people's anger affect their work, and now all of a sudden they aren't thriving at work and their work is struggling because they're angry as somebody else has nothing to do with their work. I've seen it happen. It doesn't just happen, the peop- it doesn't just hurt the people that are close to you, it hurts the people that are around you. It doesn't just end there. It also hurts you. If you know the story of Saul, Saul could never surrender his anger. And it led him down a path of destruction that eventually led him to going into a battle that he shouldn't have gone into. He gets wounded in the battle, and because he's wounded, he eventually takes his own life. If you do not do something about your anger, the anger you have because of the fear that we all can face, the anger you have because of that lie that we are fighting against, if you do not do something about it, it will destroy you, people closest to you, and everyone near you. So what are we called to do? How are we called to respond? How are we called to not live in anger? Well, Paul gives us the best way um, in Ephesians. He talks about the best, most practical way for us to do something about our anger, what we can start doing. It's the most practical way in Scripture that it says. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Here's how Paul says it. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. You see, anger in and of itself is, is not a sin. In fact, if you read uh, the Gospels, Jesus gets angry at one point. At one point, there are people selling, um, selling uh, merchandise and things like that in the temple, and they're degrading the temple of God. And Jesus gets so angry, he goes to the temple and starts flipping the tables. Jesus didn't sin in his anger. That is a righteous anger. And that's why this can be so hard. Just because you have anger doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong for you to have it. It's not a sin to have anger. But it can turn into a sin. How do we know the difference? Well, here's the biggest difference I've found. Here's what I've always heard. Righteous anger is God-centered. Sinful anger is self-centered. We should be angry about injustice in this world. When when we see what's happening with Israel, we should be angry about that. When we see what's happening with with other things in in, in life, we should be angry about that. That's a righteous anger. But when your anger is God-centered, you see an injustice that's happening, and you understand that only God can fully bring justice to the unjust, and he's just going to use me to help with that. But sinful anger, that's about me. That's self-centered. That is fighting because of the lie that you believe about yourself, the lie that you feel like you deserve better, that you just simply want it your way, that you have a right, that you are trying to control it, that you are trying to control God. But Paul says that when you sin in your anger, what you are doing is you are giving the devil a foothold. The, the Greek word for foothold here is, is topos, which actually means a place or a room. So here's what Paul is saying. When you sin in your anger, it's like you're opening up a room in your heart for the devil to live. That's what you are doing. You are giving him space to be there. So now that lie and that false belief that we have, now the enemy is just simply watering it and helping it grow and grow and grow because you've given him foothold. 
I don't want the enemy to have access to me. I don't want him to have access to my marriage, to my kids, to my friends, and to my church. But if I live in anger, that's exactly what I'm doing. And then Paul says at the end of that verse, to not let the sun go down in your anger. And here's what that means. The season of your hurt should also be the season of your healing. The season that you are hurt and angry, that should be the same season that you are working to bring reconciliation to whatever that relationship is. Maybe you've heard the saying that you should never go to bed angry. Um, I think that's generally uh, pretty good advice. That's what Eric and I try to live that way, and we try to do that as well. But I have also found that it doesn't work necessarily for everybody. And here's some pros and cons of, of doing that. You need to know how your relationship works because anger can easily build overnight. So if you, if you go to bed angry, you can wake up and you actually could be worse because of it. Um, it can be exhausting, and normally you don't get a lot of sleep if you're too angry, and that makes it worse the next day when you're trying to deal with it. So there, there are pros to that. But also at the same time, if you act impulsively in your anger, sometimes that's actually worse. They've done studies. Um, Harvard did a study that if you're really angry with your, in, in your marriage specifically, and you just take 20 minutes to be by yourself, and when you come back, it will change everything. Like just 20 minutes. So sometimes saying, all right, we got to focus on this right now could actually make it worse. You need to know how it is for your uh, relationships. Here's the point. You should never avoid it. Sometimes it's okay to be like, you know what? We're going to go to sleep, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow. Like, it needs, you should never avoid it. Avoid it. The season that you are angry, that you are hurt, needs to be the season of your recovery. That's what it should be. And then Paul continues on getting very practical here in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This week I, I read a, an article from Pastor Craig Rochelle about this exact verse, and he gave... Um, all these different never sayings, that is very good practical advice. This is for marriages and not marriages as well. Um, but, uh, uh, and I'm going to give these to you really quick and you write all these down. Here's some things that just to help you, very practical ways in your relationship when it comes to your anger. Number one, never call names. Never call names. That's childish. That, that's, that's immature. We don't call people names. We, don't, we never do that. That's something we'll never do in our marriages and our friendships. We never call people names. Uh, never raise your voice. Some of this seems like that's impossible. But listen, you never change anybody by yelling at them. It never happens. It does not happen. Never raise your voice. If you feel like you are about to raise your voice, go take those 20 minutes and come back so you can talk calmly so you can have a mature conversation because you're adults, okay? Never raise your voice. Here's another one. Never get historical. Hey, remember when you did that? Hey, remember that time you did that? Never get historical. We forgive people. We need to forgive people. Never get historical. Here's another one. Never say never or always. You never do this. You always do that. That's just simply not true. No one always does something or never does something. That's just simply not true. Here's one. This is specifically for marriages, and this is an Eric and I's relationship, and I would highly recommend for all of you. Never threaten divorce. That's off the table. The old, like I said, the only biblical reason for divorce is abuse or infidelity. If it's neither of those two things, never threaten divorce. We don't do that. In my marriage, it's never brought up. We would never do that. And then here's the last one. This is the most important one. Never quote your pastor during a fight. Don't say, well, Erica said this. No, 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 don't do that. I don't want any part of your marriages, and I don't want any part of your fights, okay? That's what, it, I don't want to do that. When we act this way, we aren't having a righteous anger. We're actually having a sinful anger that comes from fear. And let me give you just a, a little, um, something for you to realize. Most of the time we think that we are more righteous anger than sinful anger. I would tell you, most of the time, your anger is sinful, just like my anger is sinful. 
most of the time, it is sinful anger, not righteous anger. And imagine if we started doing that with other sins. What if I said, well, I just have a, I just have a, a righteous greed. I'm just going to get it, what, everything I can because that's how I'm going to serve God. I have a righteous lust. Imagine if we said that. I have righteous gluttony. I just eat everything for the glory of God. No, we would never say that, right? We understand most of our anger is self-centered because most of us are self-centered and it is sinful. So here's what Paul calls us to do to get very practical here. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You cannot be kind, compassionate, and forgiving when you are living a life of fear. And you will always live a life of fear when you believe the lies about yourself. Always. The seasons of my marriage that I have been the angriest with my wife did not come because of all the things she did. Those seasons, when I look back on it, always stem from me. A lack of, of faith that I had, a lack of, of practicing my faith, a lack of health that I had, uh, uh, me looking at things I shouldn't look, it's corrupting me. Like all these things that I would do caused me the next day to be angry with my wife or very quickly be angry. If you find yourself being angry, you need to look deeper. Where does that anger come from? Now, I know when I preach a sermon like this, some of us were like, okay, I don't like this sermon because this is definitely me. And some of you are like, I hope she's listening, or I hope he's listening to this. I'm writing these down. I'm like, when I'm writing down, I'm really like hitting them while I'm doing this. I get it. But here's a verse that I look at all the time, and I really want to encourage you all to look at uh, as well. It's in Psalm. The psalmist says this, Psalm 139, verse 20 through 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. When I get angry, here's what I tend to do. I tend to look at someone else. I'm angry at Erica because she always does this or she does this. And if she just got stopped doing this, I wouldn't be so angry with her. I'm angry at my coworkers because they never do this and they always do this and they don't do this. I'm angry at my friends because they didn't this. But instead, what if you change your prayer to God? Don't search her. Don't search him. Search me. I can't control them. I can't control how they respond. All I can do is control me. God, show me the offensive ways that I am living. And whatever that is, whatever that is, I'm giving that to you. Change me. Show me the things that I need to change. So if you are here and you feel like, you know what, I think I struggle with anger. First, I would say, I'm with you. Here's the question I want to leave you with. What are you so afraid of? Not what makes you angry. Not why are you so angry. What are you afraid of? That's where your anger is coming from. Not those surface level things that we think, it's just because they didn't put the dish away. It's just because they talked to me. No, no, no. There's something deeper. What are you so afraid of? Here's why I'm telling, I'm, I'm really trying to preach this as hard as I can to you and to me. I am watching and I have seen relationships die because of this. I have seen churches die because of this. I have seen friendships and family members that used to love die because of this. 
if you have an anger problem, what are you so afraid of? Here's what I think of sometimes when I think of anger. Think of it like uh, the game Russian Roulette. I talked about this in family service. I said, I don't know if you've ever played the game Russian Roulette, and my hope is you have not played the game Russian Roulette. Um, you might not be here. But Russian Roulette is um, you put a, one bullet into, into a gun, and so most of them aren't going to shoot anything, but one, if you shoot it, will, will kill you. For some of us, we just think, oh, we got an anger problem. I know I'm going to get better at it. And then we get angry, and then a day later, we're like, hey, I'm so sorry for what I said. And then we don't do anything to change it. We just keep living that way. And what we're doing is we're playing Russian roulette. And at some point, something in your anger is going to get you like Saul did. Say, hey, guess what? It's over now. You're forgiven, but that relationship's affected now. You're forgiven, but I'm taking that away from you now. You're forgiven. There's always redemption and grace, but that was a privilege that you now stopped because you did not work on your anger. So what I am begging you, and I'm begging myself, what are you so afraid of? What is that thing that you're getting so angry about? What is that? And look deeper to see why am I so angry about this? Because if you don't, you're going to go down the path just like Saul did. It's going to lead you to destruction. You're going to hurt your family in the process. You're going to hurt your friends in the process. You're going to hurt your coworkers in the process, all while you go down this, this path. There's always grace. There's always forgiveness. But some of us have walked so far down, it's going to take more time to come back. The good news of the gospel is there's always time to come back. That the Savior of the world, that the God of the universe is following you down the path of destruction so he can walk you back. So I'm begging you, if you struggle with anger, like I struggle with anger, ask yourself, what am I so afraid of? And take the next steps to find recovery, to find help, to find hope for your family's sake, for your friend's sake, and most importantly, for your sake. Because if you keep going down this path, you can destroy a lot of things. Let's pray. You guys, thank you for being a God who gives us unlimited second chances, who gives us grace, who gives us mercy. That no matter what we've done, no matter how far we have fallen, no matter um, what we do in our anger and our fears and our, and our lies and our worries, that you still love us, you still have a plan for us, you still have a purpose for us. So God, I pray that, that we pray the same thing that the psalmist said. Search me. Search my heart. Anything that's offensive in my heart, help me surrender that to you. God, I pray that you convict some of us right now of whatever that next step you need to take is. Convict some of us so that we can live in the hope and grace that you've given us and the forgiveness that you have given us so that we can show compassion and kindness to the people around us so that we do not destroy everything around us but that we live in the truth that you have given us. And thank you for constantly showing us the way. I pray that you Convict us to take whatever step it is, no matter how hard that step is, to live in the truth that you have given us so that we do not let our anger and our fear destroy everything around us. In your son's name.